We are live. All right, everybody. This is episode 34 of the Beef and Bitcoin podcast with your host, Brett and CH. <clears throat> Today's show, uh, interesting week so far. It's it's Thursday in the middle of August, and um, global macro is shaping up. Uh, <laughs> we have um, Bitcoin just dumped last night in the middle of the night down to 9,500 and then, you know, bounce pretty hard back off of that. And, um, and it looks like, looks like our friends in, in Hong Kong might be, might be attempting the good old fashioned bank run here. But, um, (laughs) yeah, man, how you been doing this week? I'm doing good. It's just, there's so much stuff going on. I mean, like, I don't mean to drive the Epstein thing in here, but it's the Epstein thing. There was like the Philadelphia shooting yesterday with police officers and then, like, also, the big thing, like, when I woke up Monday morning, like, I just, like, opened my phone and everyone was talking about Argentina with their, like, election shock. And the, yeah, the Merval index down there, large, second largest single-day drop for a stock market, uh, 37.93% is what's showing here in mine. But I think it shows more on other things. Anyways, absolutely incredible. Um, and not in a good way. But just, you know, you don't see these things happen often. And the fact that, you know, that something can go down 37% in one session is pretty crazy. Uh, that's a lot of people's wealth just dis- vanishing in the thin air. Um, and then also on top of that, the Argentine peso got crushed. I can find it. Yeah. That day it dropped like, I think it dropped over 20% at one point, 25%, yeah. but it rebounded back. But I mean, it's even lower than it was now. And this is Argent, yeah, this is Argentine peso the, the dollar. So it's like, I don't even know, 0.01. So whatever. I'll do it with the USD ASR ARS, which will show it in how many. Yeah, there we go. Um, it's not good. It's definitely not. Um, you know, it's things are shit is hitting the fan globally right now. And obviously, most people don't pay attention to financial markets like we do, but it's still, it's, one of those things where it's pretty interesting. Yeah, so uh, 57 Argentine peso gets you a dollar now. I mean, you can see it right here. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And it wasn't that long ago that it was like, like beginning of 2018, it was 17 pesos to the dollar. I can keep scrolling back. And it's like, so like people's wealth in Argentina has just been wrecked. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, I was actually just in Argentina in October of 2018, and the we were we were so excited because you know the dollar went so far while we were over there. You know, the like the <laughs> oh, wine was cheap, the meat was cheap. You know, you could go out to dinner, have like a, a fully cooked ribeye, um, 16 ounces with a awesome bottle of Malbec for 10 bucks. I mean, it was just insane. But the dollar was, I want to say it was between like 30 and 35 to one when I was there. And that wasn't that long ago. So now you're at, yeah. you're at 57. I mean like, Look at that. yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know, two more months, that'll have been a year. Um, that's not a lot of time. And I actually had, uh, had screenshotted something that I was going to put on my story later today or tomorrow that was just showing, um, you know, a hundred pesos in 2013 got you 20 us dollars. And now today, in August of 2019, that gets you a dollar seventy, a hundred pesos. So, I mean, you can you can see that the that the currency has just gotten absolutely wrecked, and that's 
um, kind of par for the course in Argentina. This is uh, the currency has been repegged quite a few times, and uh, it it's really sad for the people who have lived there for so long and unfortunately have to keep going through this over and over again. And then someone like you and I, who would never like you know the U.S. dollars pretty much worked, even though it's um, been losing its purchasing power since. 1913 you know nobody really thinks too much about it and thinks that inflation is just expected and it's something that just magically happens um when that's that's not reality um and it's really funny because if you were living in argentina in 2017 and you bought the top of the bitcoin bubble at 19,000, you're up right now uh, and we, we have a chart here that you can see on the screen if you're watching on on YouTube. You are you're back at all time highs already. If you used your pesos to buy, um, you're way past to buy it. Bitcoin. I mean, like you're you've, like you've blown past, past it. it. So, yeah. and and that's the thing where you can see how devalued the currency has been, even just over the last two years. I mean, it's insane to think you could buy the top of the Bitcoin bubble in 2017 and that was still a better purchase than <laughs> staying in cash. Like it's, that's wild. That's wild. So, um, I, I think local Bitcoin's volume has also gone up in both Argentina and Venezuela. Uh, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, um, you should be the, Bitcoiners in Argentina or Venezuela will be looking to protect themselves and do whatever is necessary to get their hands on on some Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I hope I hope that that gets easier. I hope that there's a way for more people who are suffering from uh, severe levels of inflation that they can go and get access to something like Bitcoin so they can protect protect their wealth. Because uh, that—that's just—it's really a shame, and it's hard for if you are living in the Western world and haven't suffered from severe inflation yet, uh, you really don't have a good appreciation for for something that can store your wealth through time. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I mean, local Bitcoin's volumes is uh, skyrocketing. It looks like in Argentina, and and that makes that makes sense. Try to find it. Oh no! <laughs> I was just gonna pull up that the yeah there we go, so you can see local Bitcoin's volume. They're not perfectly correlated, but it's pretty close to correlation with um with the inflation with the with yeah, the inflation. inflation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's you know I think that's a good you know that's one statistic, but um i'll tell you when i was there in october i didn't see one bitcoin sign no logos no nobody talking about it i didn't see any atms i didn't see any of that so the fact that local bitcoin's volume is increasing and it's still relatively uh, not within mainstream there is a good sign I, I think uh i think that means it is ripe for I guess exploding as as it becomes more mainstream, and hopefully the infrastructure that we see being laid out in 2019, 20, uh, 2020 will make a lot of this stuff yeah. easier. Look at this though. In 2013, the Argentine peso was like between four and six to the U.S. dollar. I mean, that's just incredible. So I mean, uh, I, I that's like God, I've met some people from Argentina, but that was a couple years ago. And it's like holy shit. 
it's like, what do they, what do you do to like preserve your wealth? Like, you gotta wonder, you know, they're probably obviously wealthier because I'm not from outside the country, but you gotta think that hopefully their family or whatever had money and other assets, whether it was even U.S. dollars, other things that weren't, you know, Argentina peso denominated because, yeah, those are wrecked. I mean, it's, and you can see with like this this chart here, I mean, I know it's not log scale, this is just a linear, but you can see a lot of times with currencies, you'll see it a lot, like the big moves just happen. Like there's a big move in early 2014, another big move, you know, in the end of 2015, and then obviously it just started marching towards uh, 2018, but still, the big moves just happen, and obviously it's weak and incredible, you know, so... No, I think that's a good point. And we just saw that with the Juan, right? Yeah. Um, it, it just exploded upwards. And it it's hard to say. Like, it's still really early in terms of these fiat currencies kind of losing their purchasing power very quickly and all of a sudden. Um, in hindsight, it will look very obvious whatever ends up happening. But you always think about that, um, the German mark chart where – once it starts taking off, when all of a sudden, you know, boom, you just have hyperinflation and the currency is just completely worthless. It just like, keeps going. It's like, you know, how that like, can happen faster than you think. And it typically does because hyperinflation is just completely unpredictable. All of a sudden, all faith is lost in the currency and then poof, like it, it, it's just worthless. Yeah. And, people, um, and the yeah. velocity <laughs> of money just picks up incredibly because people want to preserve their value and get the hyperinflation situation. So people will buy anything. They'll go buy art. They'll go buy, like, in, in cases of Germany. Like, I finished that book recently, um, When Money Dies by Adam Ferguson. You know, people, it got to the point where people are buying bread. You're buying meat. You're buying anything you can get your hands on just so you could preserve your wealth over the, to the next day. Um, and it was the, you know, the people that got affected the most are the people that live in the city, the middle class, um, and... But like when the farmers didn't get affected as bad because, you know, they still had their land. They were able to produce food like eggs, you know, butchered meat, obviously, et cetera, um, and crops. But, you know, the cities got hit hard because there was a shortage of food because farmers wouldn't sell their food at, you know, bad prices. And it's it sounds terrible, but like, you know, hyperinflation, again, economic stress drives people into just deep, dark corners. You know, that's um, when we see our worst as humans. Yeah. And I think that's a kind of a good point to touch on the easy money that we've seen in the last hundred years is you can really tie that back as like the root cause of pretty much every single problem. I mean, maybe, maybe that's a stretch, but it's really not because a lot of these things would never be prolonged or have gotten this bad or have gotten that far without, without, um, like easy money, policies and just fiat money in general um <clears throat> yeah the world would be a much different place if we were still on a gold standard or something like that it exactly. just we would we wouldn't even be having this conversation because markets would be rational and you wouldn't be able to like do insane lending and borrowing to fund really stupid ideas like it we wouldn't be dealing with a lot of this nonsense um but that's what's exciting because you once you spot that you know that it can't last because it's it's like false, right? It's it's not real, and stuff like that doesn't last forever. Uh, so once you kind of, that light bulb goes off, if you've been, if you're even interested in this stuff because you got into Bitcoin and now you're starting to learn about money, 
you can easily identify, you know, just walking down the street, you know, well, that's a fucking dumb idea. Like every day I walk, when I go downtown and I see the, you know, the dog sweater store, I probably talked about this before and it's like, you know, and I, like I walk in there and there's never anybody in there, um, for good reason. It's like a really high end, like dog clothing store, which you know what, if maybe what, what do I know? Maybe they make a ton of money. Uh, I just don't see how, and that's the first thing to go when shit hits the fan or times are getting tough. Like <laughs> times are tough. Yeah. So, but it's things like that where if your borrowing costs are essentially zero, like, yeah, you can take out a loan and open up a dog sweater store for 24 months and everything is fine and dandy until, um, people don't have any money to go and spend there. And then you start to see which kind of businesses or business models are actually sustainable and realistic, um, in, in a time when, money is not easy when you actually have to work for your money. Um, yeah, it's, it's just absolutely fascinating. And now here we are in the middle of 2019. Um, and it looks like we're teetering a bit with, you know, equity markets are volatile. They're going all over the place. Bitcoin's volatile. Gold is volatile. Yeah, political kind of right like all of the you know every recession warning sign is flashing red they're waving the white flag wait, i mean yeah and let's think wait let's think about all the negative there's over 16 trillion dollars with a negative yielding debt right now that yeah. means that people are buying this debt with a basically a promise to lose money uh and and then basically a majority of the world's uh yield curve is negative it's it's yep. getting insane is what is happening uh, and only, you know, when we look on this in hindsight in five, ten years, however long, um, will we be able to be like, wow, how stupid things got, you know? Um, yeah. You know, like I mentioned before the podcast, at this point, central banks are doing whatever they can to prolong this, to prevent, you know, they won't be able to prevent the crisis, but they're doing whatever they can to prolong it, like day by day, like literally day by day. It's insane. No, I agree with you. And uh, go ahead. No, that, that was just, I was, was going to end with that. It's tough because you, you know, I, I know the show doesn't go on forever. It doesn't last forever, and it's almost like what you know, what's next in the in the toolbox? Uh, do you have a situation similar to Japan where you know the the Fed is buying stocks um, and just keeping that pumped up in the, in the event of a, a large double digit pullback in equities and the equities market, you know, does it, does it happen before then, or does it happen after the fact? And I think that's something that I've been thinking about. And I was just listening to a podcast the other day, um, or, or this morning, actually, um, Bitcoin Tina was thinking that, you know, do stocks kind of stay flat for the next decade as the fed does, whatever it needs to do to prevent rioting in the streets. Um, and that's like, I don't know. I don't, I, I know they're going to cut rates in September. You know, that seems highly likely. Uh, is it too late? Do, does the bottom kind of fall out then? Does our, our, is easing happening right now in the background and we don't even know it? Um, you know, is the plunge protection team kind of jumping, jumping in there already? Um, or will it be too late to, kind of pump those bags to print and buy and prolong this 
whatever it is. I, I like can't tell anymore. Yeah. Um, do they just prolong it? Cause I, <laughs> last December we were both like, okay, it's, it's over. Here we go. Like buckle up. And then, you know, we rallied again and now here we are and it smells exactly the same. Yeah. And, um, you know, this can be pushed longer than we think. And, and that's, that's what makes it so difficult. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to a pretty good. Um, there's a I think by Real Vision Finance or whatever on YouTube last night before to bed. Raul Pal was talking about how the Fed and you even hear Donald Trump talk about it. The Fed tightened way too quickly, and, and it took me a little bit. To, but then he talked through it, and I, and I remember because I've mentioned this to you before. People don't realize like interest rates um, over doubled in the span of what was it a year and a half, two years between 2016 to the end of 2018. Like when we went from 25 basis points Fed fund rate to 225 basis points. And a lot yeah. of people, it doesn't seem like a lot, but the, that that just over doubled um, or even, tri- excuse me, tripled the cost of money. Shit. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's, not even, it's even more than that because 25 basis points, yeah, no, it's an insane amount now that I think about it. Um, it's like eight, eight times, or no, excuse me, 10 times basically. They basically 10x the cost of money. And so you think about all the corporations um, taking on heavy amounts of debt, you know, in 2013, 2014, you know, 2012, 2014, and then the cost of this debt just skyrockets, you know, 10 times. So let's say it was $200,000 a year and now it becomes $2 million a year. So it's just, um, and you were talking about on top of that, the Fed was doing quantitative tightening. So, and that's why like last year we just fucking sank like from October to fucking December. And that's when they stopped QT, and then that's when the Fed just fucking completely pivoted, because like there were that Fed chart where it shows like prediction for rates next year, which is completely worthless. Up until like October, you know, November last year, everyone was looking towards like two and a half to three percent, even even higher at the time. Yeah, I thought we were gonna go higher too. Me too, for sure. I was thinking, oh, we're gonna go to three percent, but yeah. honestly, at this point, like I think. If Jerome Powell, he needs to big dick the rest of the world and be like, fuck off. We're going to not lower our rates to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's looking to cut. But it's it, – it, you know, it's funny to talking about that. When I was watching the um, the Money Masters documentary, That's so which good. is an awesome documentary. You mentioned it to me. Like, I completely forgot. I, wa- I watched it like last year when I was like handicapped. Yeah. But I need to rewatch it's like, it. It's so it's good. Like a th- three and a half hour documentary that basically goes over the entire history of just banking, central banking, the, the money changers. Right. And they talk about how they realized you could cause these boom and bust cycles, uh, by restricting the money supply and then, um, so tightening, right. And then Mm -hmm. easing the money supply and you could, you know, it, and now it seems like it's what, like a, not a hundred years later, but all of a sudden we have all of this information now at our fingertips and people have been looking at this and seeing the trends over and over again. It's the same fucking thing. And you see the same thing with tightening of rates, rates going up, restricting the money supply. There's less lending, there's less borrowing. Um, and then the easing of that. And then you have all of these, you know, worthless, uh, you, you have malinvestment, um, and, and things are great because everything is just fine and dandy because, uh, 
it's easy back to easy money policies. So now, now in hindsight, when, if I think back to 2016 or 2017, as rates were coming back up, like I should have seen that coming, right? Like here's that next boom bust cycle, you know, we're going to restrict the money supply and then, you know, it'll, you'll get to the point where that we realize, okay, we're on the edge again. Everybody can unload who's in the know. And then you ease the money supply and you kind of, it, it becomes very, that, that is the business cycle. People talk about the business cycle and credit cycles and debt cycles, but they, they never really tie it back to interest rates, which I'm not really sure why. Cause everybody like, Oh, the market's cyclical. Well, you haven't, you haven't given me the, the reason why. And, and that is the reason why, in my opinion, you have that um, that tightening of the money supply and then, you know, expanding and contracting the money supply. That, that That's it. It's it's not even that complicated. I was going to say one of the, um, you know, the craziest things about all this is like, now I'm blanking on it, but is, um, you know, when you look at like, I guess the market is simply like since the delinkage of gold from money. I mean, it, it just keeps going up. And that's why you always hear people talk about you know oh stocks go up forever and this and that but i think we are on the verge of a giant deflationary cycle um where stocks aren't going to go up forever um prices of things will deflate in you know because unless unless we go the hyperinflation route which is much right right that's more rare right so they were they were just talking about this this morning on the podcast i was listening to and it but it's like does it I'm seeing inflation already just in the, in the things that I purchase yeah. and you know, it, but it's hard to say, does, does the dollar just become worthless in the next, I don't know. Cause it can happen just overnight. It, mm-hmm. It's impossible to say, but you're right. There's a higher probability of, uh, to seeing the deflationary kind of recession. So what do you think would happen in that case? Well, obviously one stock prices go down, but that means like, and this is the hard thing with deflationary cycle is, does that mean everything else goes? Does that mean gold gets wrecked? Does that mean oil gets wrecked? Does that mean silver, Bitcoin, everything gets wrecked, basically? Money going out. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe money piles into gold, silver, Bitcoin, other precious metals. But I think in general, um, you know, with the deflation cycle, everything just, you know, including real estate, you know, real estate is a prime example, just fucking losing value like crazy. And the scary side is the, the backside of whatever this giant run as we've had here since the 80s um i don't know what the backside of it is it's obviously going to take years to play out uh, these are quarterly bars so you're looking at three months equals each candlestick here but it's just scary and i i think we still got a little more time before we really go down barring some kind of really crazy black swan event like we did we mention the hong kong we mentioned it earlier but basically hong kong it's probably happening right now to be honest uh, one of their leaders, the Hong Kong activist, wants to, you know, a run on Chinese banks tomorrow, and let, you know all the basically wants to run on all the banks so they can't lend lend to each other, um, which is pretty crazy because if that happens, I don't know what that will do to financial markets, but Hong Kong is a global center for finance in the Eastern world, or in that you know hemisphere. Right. And I think the I think the bank run is interesting to talk about now because um, I'm glad that the you know, the people of of Hong Kong have even thought about that because that's I mean, it's a brilliant uh, it's a brilliant move on their part if they can pull it off. And, you know, whether they do or or not isn't really the isn't really the issue, but more the fact that 
they thought about it yeah. and you, you, you start to realize, well, we, we can do that. And then all of a sudden all lending stops. If, yeah. if you force banks to close, all lending stops, all production stops, everything just kind of comes to a standstill. And, um, you know, I don't know, then what do you, what do you do after that? You, you start making demands, like everybody's kind of fucked in that, in that case. But, um, it's, it's proof that the, the, the current financial system is a part of the, is a part of the issue. And, uh, you know, it looks like they're going to try to at least pull the plug on this a little bit. You know, I need to find that clip of that British dude talking about banks. I, I think I sent it to you. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm going to find yeah, it. Yeah. I'll play that because that, that's so good. And we're gonna, it, this clip is phenomenal. It's from like 2014 or 15. Yeah, it's a few years old. And I, it's funny because I had seen it, I've seen I think, it before. prior to getting into uh, Bitcoin. And then obviously, once I was getting into Bitcoin in 2017, I had I'd seen it a few more times. And that was like, that was like the first light bulb moment of of just everybody being completely baffled with, with how money is actually created in the current financial system and just poof out of thin air. Um, and you just start to question everything at, at that point. And I give the guy a lot of fucking credit for, for saying it and really just nailing it. Um, I do, I do forget exactly what his name was to help you search for it, but I'd probably like retweet it at some point. I, I I just like for whatever reason it's hard to go back to the private messages or whatever the messages. Yeah, yeah. Go through DMs. Um, I was gonna say also like this. I think I, I recently opened it. Well, not think I did open a checking account recently, but it still boggles my mind that like two hundred and fifty thousand is the max you're guaranteed. Doesn't matter how many checkings you count you have at a bank or savings or checkings. Like that's the max you're guaranteed. Is that per person on a per person aggregate? Uh, yeah, I, so, like, it's so not if I had like a checkings and a savings account in my bank, I'm only guaranteed $250,000, mm-hmm. which then again, you think about it, it's like, well, if you're a wealthy person, you got to put your money somewhere else, whether you hold cash in a safe, hold gold, um, you know, obviously right. stocks, bonds, real estate, just because like, you're not guaranteed shit. I mean, that's re- I mean, it really isn't that much money. I mean, I know $250,000 is a lot, but it really isn't that much. Um, right. And at the same time, if, if you were in a circumstance where the FDIC is giving you $250,000 back because the bank didn't have it anymore, chances are that the purchasing power of that $250,000 is going to be way fucking less by the time you actually get your hands on it. (laughs) So as, as, as people like to throw that, Oh, well the, you know, FDIC insurance, blah, blah, blah. If they're, if you're making a claim with FDIC, chances are you're fucked. Chances and, are everything is <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just no. like I gotta find this fucking video. It's somewhere. Good thing I like retweet everything I see because I'm a terrible person. Yeah. I'm gonna find it. It's so good. Alright, well while you're looking for that, I'll uh I'll talk about kind of the Hong Kong background a little bit more. Yeah. Um I'm really interested to see if they actually get it done because if they do and it and it causes kind of a standstill the real question will be will will that become kind of the uh, protest method of choice in other areas or countries um, you know would 
what all of a sudden you'd see like, okay, well that worked. And now the protesters demands are being met. They're not going to pass the extradition laws because, um, you know, the people of Hong Kong don't want to live under authoritarian rule anymore. They, you know, they want to have access to, um, firearms, you know, they're holding up signs about the second amendment. They're waving American flags. Uh, they, they are really desperate for their freedom. Um, and you know, if it, if it works in a positive way, does that mean other countries or, you know, where there's unrest, you know, does the yellow vest movement all of a sudden become oh fuck it, let's do a bank run. That's way easier than getting our asses beat by like Macron's <laughs> army. Yeah. Uh, like all of a sudden that becomes a way better strategy. And then to tie it all back into Bitcoin, uh, you know, something that you'll hear a lot of people tweet or say, uh, like Bitcoin's a peaceful protest. You're just, you're just opting out. You're saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to participate in this monetary system anymore. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, go to the airport and make it so that their commercial flights are just completely shut down. I don't want to do a bank run or all this other stuff. You're just going to voluntarily opt out of that system. Um, and you know, just decrease the economic economic activity with that money. Um, and I think it's, I think it's fascinating that you could, you could call Bitcoin a peaceful protest because that's exactly what it is. You're just saying I'm done with this system where I'm losing purchasing power constantly year in and year out. Everything is costing me more and more and more and more and more. And you're not making any more money. Your wages are barely keeping up with inflation. If that, um, and you know, job competition is getting stronger. It's you know, it's really rare to find a, a job that's paying 250 grand um, just to, and that can cover all your expenses. Like it, it's not fucking easy. Um, I don't know. It 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 makes it very interesting to see how all of this actually will play out because all everybody has different options depending upon where you are and. Uh, how the country you're living in is performing economically. And, you know, it feels great to live in the United States at this point because it's, uh, things are not too bad, relatively speaking, compared to something like Venezuela or, you know, having 20% of your net worth just poof overnight if you were living in Argentina and, you know, if you were holding stocks, you got absolutely wrecked. So there's holding stocks or the base of you are wrecked. Right, like either way, you probably took somewhat of a haircut. I think I found the video also. If it ever loads, oh, um, took me a freaking minute to find that. Yes, here it is. European the EFD, Parliament. Mr. Bloom has two minutes. So it's the guy's name is Godf Godfrey Bloom, British politician. But I digress. Uh, well, uh, Commissioner. Um, Mr. President, uh, I rise again, I'm afraid, to make the same old hoary speech that I've been making here for several years, and that is, it is my opinion that you do not really understand the concept of banking. All the banks are broke. Uh, Bank Santander, Deutsche Bank, Royal Bank of Scotland, they're all broke. And why are they broke? It isn't an act of God. It isn't some sort of tsunami. They're broke because we have a system called fractional reserve banking, which means that banks can lend money that they don't actually have. 
It's a criminal scandal and it's been going on for too long. To add to that problem, you have moral hazard, a very significant moral hazard from the political sphere. And most of the problem starts in politics and central banks, which are part of the same political system. We have counterfeiting, sometimes called quantitative easing, but counterfeiting by any other name. The artificial printing of money, which if any ordinary person did, they'd go to prison for a very long time. And yet governments and central banks do it all the time. Central banks repress the amount of interest that rate, rates are, so we don't have the real cost of money. And yet we blame the real retail banks for manipulating LIBOR. The sheer effrontery of this is quite astonishing. It's central banks. It's central banks that manipulate interest rates, Commissioner. And plus, underneath all this, we talk loosely, in a rather cavalier fashion, do we not, about deposit guarantees. So when banks go broke through their own incompetence and chicanery, the taxpayer picks up the tab. It's theft from the taxpayer. And until we start sending bankers, and I include central bankers and politicians, to prison for this outrage, it will continue. Yeah, it's, it's a really good speech, and I hope whoever listened to this got to hear that. Um, I know this is towards the end of our podcast, and that's probably a pretty good way to wrap it up there. But the reality is, is all banks, you know, especially when you look at the European banks, they are... It's a shit show. Like, I'm just going to pull up BBVA. Um, they're on the verge of collapse. I mean, there's no way around it. Um, you, you just look, I mean, the markets are screaming that they're done. Um, like, this just broke its last trend line here and is probably heading down to pennies. Um, and that will happen in the coming months. And it's just going to get worse. Like, stocks or something, as stocks go down more, they get shorted more heavily. It's, it's one of those things... Um, more people jump on that bandwagon and it, you know, it's the same thing like, and I don't know how it works with Europe, but in the U S you know, like today when GE fell over 10%, they like banned short selling. <laughs> it's just fucking stupid. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I understand why they do it, but at the same time, you're just getting rid of all price discovery right there because you know, it would just continue to get absolutely hammered. Yeah. And did um, we, uh, did we mention GE at all? No, we didn't. You, yeah. you should talk about it. Well, I'm just going to mention it briefly. Basically, GE is a giant shitcoin. It has been for a while. Um, they've taken on loads and loads of debt, and now the guy who called up Bernie Madoff, I can't think of his name, um, you know, called up Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme, basically um, is saying GE is hiding a bunch of bad debt you know, in other accounts, and the stock dumped 12 Well, it closed at 9.5% down. But it was down over 12% during the intraday. Um, GE is a giant shitcoin. The sad thing about GE is there's obviously a lot of Americans. There's probably other people from other countries, but specifically Americans that are, you know, through the pension are funded. And they're going to get wrecked when this when this company goes to zero. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, GE has a bunch of good assets and those will get sold off separately to pay for their issues when they go under. But it's going to happen. Um, and the sad thing is... In 2016, instead of fucking investing in the company and shit, all they did was fucking buy back shares at $30 a share, and now those shares are down 75%. So, um, here again, that's why buying back shares should be illegal. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. 
yeah, I mean, it, it, it is unbelievable that, um, that that's happening. And when I was trying to read up a little bit more on, um, you know, the guy who's kind of calling out GE, I think he put out like a 175 page report on the whole thing. It was pretty impressive. Um, when he, I think, I think he called out Madoff and Ron also. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, within four or five months, they were pretty much insolvent. Um, by the time he had kind of, you know, waved the white flag, uh, or wave the red flag, I guess you could say in this case. Um, I found the guy's name. It's Henry Marcopolos. Uh, yeah, I mean, a few smoking guns on GE. Yeah, 170-page report. Yeah, I mean, it, that that's wild. And, you know, the, the sad part is, is that um, as, you know, firms become wow, insolvent. Wow, look at this, dude. This is a legit page. Look at this. Yeah. GE no, is the got- next Enron. The, yeah. the Genron playbook, GE's playing de- decades-long accounting fraud by only providing top-line revenue and bottom-line profits for its business units and getting away with leaving out cost of goods sold, SG&A, R&D, and corporate overall head allocations. It's Discovering GE fraud. Jesus. Um, this will but, be interesting to watch historically. Yeah, this is like, looking be, back on this will be... Well, really look at this. The, the CEO... Wraps your teeth in sensitivity. Sorry, he pumped it. He pumped it. Everything from cold foods. He bought like two million shares or yeah, something. He bought two million dollars worth of shares, like at the end of the day, which is, which is pretty interesting. How am I going to save my stack? Let's go buy two million dollars. I mean, that's a that's a lot of shares to buy. I don't know what the yeah. volume was today, but that's a lot of shares. Volume is probably obviously pretty high considering it's price dump. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Well, it'll be interesting to see actually how it responds tomorrow. Yeah. Um, end of the week, Friday. Uh, if you're working at GE right now and you have and you have shares, what are you doing tomorrow? Uh, we're gonna find out because um, people are not going to be happy. Thirty-eight billion worth is what they're saying. Only GE's accountants know where the skeletons are buried. Buried. We dug up several thirty-eight billion dollars worth. So that's gonna fuck up all their debt ratios. It's gonna make what little free cash they have, from what I've been reading, just non-existent. Um, yeah. They're, and they're saying they're a lot more cockroaches, and said it could soon file for bankruptcy. I mean, think about that. GE is fucking huge. Yeah, like, it, it was insane. huge. It was the highest valued stock in 2000. You know. That's crazy. I know. Well, you think it's a good way to wrap her up here? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, we'll definitely be able. To, we're going to cover this stock on the way on its way to zero, so this will be fun. Um, thank you for listening. I hope whoever stayed got to hear that British politician said because that's the reality of our banking system. And don't think twice that it won't happen again. What happened in 2008, 2009, and then also in Europe, what happened in 2011. You know, there's you know debt crisis in 2012. It will happen. Um, so just you know, be careful. Try to protect yourself read and pay attention to what's actually going on in the world definitely all right peace peace